0: Hello and welcome back to Micro on the Mic for part two of our three-part series on the strangling angel of children aka diphtheriae. On our last episode we introduced the bacterium Corone bacterium diphtheria to all you listeners and touched upon its origin and historical significance. For today's episode, we switch gears into overdrive as we throw this bacterium under the microscope and discover this toxogenic bacteria on a cellular level together. And as promised, our invited speaker, Courtney Roque from URI's biology department, is here to help us accomplish such a feat.
1: Hi, Courtney. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. Thank you for having me today. I'm thrilled about being chosen to speak to the audience about this subject. Yes, we are on the edge of our seats. Well,
0: at least I am. So, in the last episode, I tried to set the scene, so to speak, and touched on the basics of this deadly bacteria. However, you are the expert. Can you help us to understand it, bacteria? What is it? How is it transmitted? What are the signs and symptoms? How does it affect us? Are there any possible treatments?
1: are we at risk today? And if we are at risk, how can we stop it? Wow, someone had their morning coffee. (laughs) But honestly, all of those are really important questions, and I'll do my best to answer them within the time constructs of the show. Because I can go on forever about diphtheria, it really is an interesting microorganism and not so micro impact on us humans. In fact, I think your listeners would be in shock regarding the correlation between the ongoing pandemic and the possible resurgence of this historical killer, but we'll circle back to that a bit later. So you ask, what is it? Well, to begin, let me first give a little background on bacteria itself. We've all heard of it, but what we might not know is that bacteria or bacterium are classified as prokaryotes, which are single-celled organisms with a simple internal structure that lacks a nucleus. Bacteria can be found everywhere, and I mean everywhere, both inside and outside of your body. Most are harmless, some are helpful, and well then there are those pathogens like diphtheria, which are just not good. So as your lovely host Lauren probably mentioned on the last episode, diphtheria is an acute bacterial infection in which gram-positive non-motile bacillus invades the respiratory tract or skin abrasions of an infected person or a normal carrier. But what she might not have mentioned is that when this little bugger lodges in the, in the tonsil or nasopharynx epithelium and colonizes the mucous membranes, it begins to multiply toxigenic diphtheria which produce exotoxins lethal to the adjacent host cells and once absorbed through the membranes may enter the bloodstream and affect the kidneys, heart, and neurological function. Yikes, right? I know, I know. You don't want to get it and I don't blame you. Who would? So you might be asking yourself, how is this transmitted so I can avoid it? Well, infected patients and asymptomatic carriers can transmit diphtheria via respiratory droplets, fomites, which are things like clothing, utensils, and furniture, or from contact with an open skin alteration. The most discomforting fact is, even if an infected person doesn't show any signs or symptoms of diphtheria, they're still able to transmit the bacterial infection for up to six weeks after the initial infection. And if that wasn't bad enough, overcrowding, poor health, incomplete vaccination, and immunosuppression can further increase the risk of transmission. So I know, you've tried your best, washed your hands, coughed and sneezed into your elbow... But uh uh-oh. You've been infected. What can you expect from this toxigenic pathogen? Well, Your symptoms or manifestations will depend on whether you've contracted nasopharyngeal or cutaneous diphtheria, but in general, one can expect symptoms to appear within 2-5 to days of being infected and may include mild pharyngitis, fever, malaise, swollen cervical lymph nodes or a bull neck appearance, or hypoxia due to airway obstruction by the distinguishing thick gray pseudomembrane associated with this bacteria. Life-threatening systemic complications include loss of motor function, like for example, difficulty in swallowing and congestive heart failure, and those may develop as a result of the action of the diphtheria toxin on the peripheral motor neurons and the myocardium. The skin lesions in cutaneous diphtheria are usually covered by a gray-brown pseudomembrane, and when of course there are those fortunate few with absolutely no manifestations at all. However, those who are asymptomatic continue to pose a risk of transmission to those around them. Wow. We have covered so much in such a short period of time. I'm going to be out of a job after this podcast, but to wrap things up for today, I'm going to touch upon how this infection is diagnosed. And then for the third and final installment of the strangling angel of children, I will return to discuss in-depth treatment methods, preventative measures, and the ongoing research on corneum bacterium diphtheriae. Exciting, right? So you've dragged your sick butt to the docs. What can you expect? Your doctor will likely determine you have diphtheria by looking for common signs and symptoms, such as the telltale pseudomembranous plaque, and by swapping the back of the throat or nose to test it for bacteria that causes diphtheria. Specimens for culture should be obtained from the nares and oropharynx, or any mucosal or cutaneous lesion, and if possible, material should be obtained from beneath the membrane or a portion of the membrane itself. Confirmation of this infection is established by isolating diphtheria and testing the isolate for toxin production by the ELEC test, which is an in vitro immunodiffusion assay. Other tests such as polymerase chain reaction or PCR may be used as well. However, it takes time to grow bacteria, so it is important to start treatment right away if a doctor suspects respiratory diphtheria. Unfortunately, even with treatment, 1 in 10 people infected with respiratory diphtheria will die, which is why when diphtheria is identified, it is critical that state and local public health laboratories submit specimens or isolates to the CDC for confirmatory testing so that appropriate public health action can be taken patients and those in close contact with those infected will begin antibiotic therapy and antitoxin is administered in severe cases. However, the best and most effective treatment is of course prevention through vaccination, but we'll tackle that in our next installment.
0: Courtney, that was amazing. I just wanted to thank you again for being here. I look forward to your return on our final installment of this three-part series on the strangling angel of children, aka diphtheria. I invite all you listeners out there to join us as we continue to uncover this deadly bacteria together. That's it for us today here on Micro on the Mic. Thanks for listening, and as always, so long, stay safe, and keep learning. Bye!